0: Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading woman-owned and woman-led advertising and communications firm in Southern California. Our show, The Deciders, features leaders, change agents, academics, and data scientists who share their insights to help us grow our businesses and have a greater impact on our communities. We often explore ways we can help people advance into leadership I have a focus on advocacy for women in leadership roles and particularly in diversity in leadership roles in the recent years last 10 years I have been co-hosting an event now called 5050 women on boards and that's an initiative nationwide to highlight and educate why women are so important on boards with the emphasis on gender balance, to educate, advocate, and of course, to also be a promoter of women. And one of the women that I know is a leader in this arena and a strong advocate is Renata Simerl. She is my guest today. We're gonna to talk with Renata about women on boards, women in leadership, but also about the wonderful organization that she runs. And the question I posed has to do with that organization. Have you ever wondered what activities help keep young people thriving and learning leadership skills? All of us want our young people to be the strongest leaders they can be, and we want to influence entrepreneurial attitudes. But what is a way of doing that that is pervasive across all youth at all ages. Well, my guest today has answers to that. She has developed amazing sports programs that are an effective tool for leadership among young people at all ages. Let me introduce Renata Simrel, the CEO of LA84 Foundation that was created with a share of the surplus funds from the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. The LA84 Foundation supports hundreds of youth sports programs throughout Southern California, and we'll learn more. Welcome to The Deciders, Renata. Hi,
1: Renee. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: I am so excited because uh, I knew a little bit about uh, uh, LA-84 when Anita was running it, but uh, I have seen uh, the presence of it grow and its scale change. Let's begin with the kinds of programs LA-84 Foundation supports and how they really help young people. Tell us about the history and the current activities.
1: Sure. Thank you, um, Renee, again. And I love the, your opening about what the power of sport is all about. As you were talking about the intro, thought about a Ernst & Young study um, that was done several years ago that showed 94 percent of women in the C-suite at one point in their lives played sport, either at the high school level or the collegiate level. And there's some Olympians thrown in there as well. And so basically what our job is, what my job is, is what I think is the best job in America, quite frankly, is that we help young people become life ready through sport. But it's not just um, young people, you know, across the board. We're specifically focused On underserved and under-resourced communities. So those kids who don't have um, access to sport uh, and play opportunities that don't have access to fields of play. And unfortunately, um, that's quite a large population in our geographic area for the LAD4 Foundation, which is the eight counties of Southern California. And so we fund uh, direct service grants to nonprofit organizations, community-based organizations, municipalities, and some school-based programs uh, to provide free and low-cost sport opportunities. Um, But ever across the board, we fund over 50 different sports, support 3 million plus uh, young people, and actually um, have supported 2,200 nonprofit organizations from Santa Barbara to San Diego County, so very wide swath. And we also do coaching education. The coach stands in as that adult mentor, um, helping to guide and navigate young people, not just in the X's and O's, but really in the life skills, uh, making sure that they're Um, showing up with their best selves, um, bringing out the best in those young people. And then we also focus on infrastructure development. Uh, We are um, a very dense urban community, and a lot of uh, young people don't have access uh, to sport fields of play, pools, uh, ball fields, soccer fields. And so we partner often with um, other organizations because the cost of those infrastructure to make sure that young people have access um, to sport and play. And then we also do uh, research and convening on the most prevailing issues uh, affecting young people. Uh, Most notably would be the decline in sport, which starts about 14 in middle school. Mm. And then we help to um, educate and elevate the sport-based youth development ecosystem, our sort of peer groups, if we will, to make sure that we're building a support system for as many kids as we can And that we're also um, a thought leader nationally in recentering sport and play, not as a nice to have, but a must have essential element to childhood well-being and certainly uh, to young people creating paths for success and opportunities in their lives.
0: I think it's amazing when I I consider my own life and I see my children and the role sports played. I see this mostly through the eyes of a woman and my two daughters and becoming a leader and being able to encourage others to withstand losing, to understand the value of a team, not just an individual effort. All of these are such important character building skills and sets of data points, experiences that if you don't gain them, and if they're not brought to you in an organized fashion and just haphazardly, you may be missing something as you develop. So when you talk about the sports programs, I know that uh, there are many reasons they're developed. But when I think about education and how sports has diminished within the educational day, you've been able to augment that. And can you talk a little bit about that kind of rigor and why it's so important? Yeah, grit and
1: perseverance and resilience—you um, know, those are the you know, elements that make um, you know just to, to help young people become their best selves. The sports is an is an environment. We 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 have an ethos called teaching, learning, and competition. Um, and to your point, Renee, I mean, you know, having that coach, that adult uh, mentor, um, you know, being able to have positive affiliations, right? The communities that we serve. Um, You know, a lot of young people are just struggling, you know, with the day to day of life, working class parents, single parent households, some being raised by grandmothers. Then you have the other uh, side of the equation where you have this win at all cost mentality. But the true power of sport for us is delivered when kids first and foremost can have fun, can actually learn the connection between hard work and success. And and that and, and creating that environment where kids can fail in a safe environment. Um, through those competition elements, right? So you're talking about learning how to weather defeat, um, but it's also about winning with grace. Um, it's learning to show up. You know, what What skills am I good at? You know, I was, loved basketball, but I wasn't going to be the, you know, knockout star player on the basketball team, but I could, you know, be the point guard and really, you know, sort of manage and navigate the team, but I wasn't going to be the high scorer. So being settled and knowing my role and that that was the best that I can contribute to a team you're absolutely correct that those are the life skills um, that are essential to um, you know just success in life, but certainly success um, in the work environment. And I certainly see it um, as I've built this team with the, at the L84 Foundation over the last six years. Um, I'd say the vast majority, if not all, of my team members have played sport at some point in their life, either recreational, um, but competitive, or you know on their competitive high school team. And some have played in college. And the sad part about it, Renee, is that. Um, A lot of schools, not just in Los Angeles, not just in the state of California, but across this country, um, don't uh, have defunded um, enrichment programs, including sports. Um, A lot of schools, because of budget issues, the first on the chopping block is usually their um, their high school team. And that uh, particularly in communities that um, don't have any other opportunities or the, the economics of families, their household incomes can't afford You know, the $3,000, $4,000 a year for a club team or a travel team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the things that we do, um, and we're leaning in heavily coming out of COVID, is um, really demonstrating the value of sport and play, team sports, Um, not just again as a a nice to have, but a must have in terms of connecting young people to school, connecting them to their academics. I mean, again, building pathways um, to to life success. And I'll just throw out one statistic because I'm a data uh, junkie. Uh, CIF did a study in the 2015-2016 school year, and that's the um, inner high School League for um, public schools, public and private schools, quite frankly. But they did a study, and 92% of student-athletes attend school more often, graduate, go on to college, and they graduate with a higher GPA than those non-student-athletes, a 2.7 versus a 2.1 GPA. And so there is certainly the data and the research that we do. Uh, make that connection quite clearly, uh, and so we're on this mission to um, you know bring some focus to that area, and, and hopefully uh, work with school districts to bring sport um, back, particularly high school sports, but also in the middle school where we see that drop-off for a lot of young people. So
0: important. Uh, And we see that, you know, particularly with girls, a drop-off in sport and then a math and science at the age of 14. I was on the hockey, a field hockey team on the East Coast and a tennis team, a swim team. And I have to say that it really influenced my ability to perceive myself as a leader. And as you just said, to see the role you can play and how important that can be. It shapes your vision of yourself as well as your skill set. Now, this problem that we're talking about, about underfunding or cutting funding of enrichment programs, including sports, is obviously a national issue. I know you have the Play Equity movement. Tell us about that and how people can get involved.
1: Sure. That's a great question. And I'll answer the, um, the last question first is certainly playequityfund.org. Um, you know, you can reach out to me directly, uh, Renata at la84.org. Um, when I took over um, in 2016, it's hard to believe it's been six years, um, the board of directors for the L84 Foundation um, did an extraordinary thing. They realized um, through their work um, 30 years up until that point that this small endowment that we um, have as a benefit of the 84 Olympic Games, um, we use the investment income to do our work, to invest in the communities that we serve. And I fashion that as a pe- like peanut butter and then our service area is a piece of bread. And we are spreading that peanut butter very thin and has started to miss corners of the bread. Um, And so kids were falling through the crack and not having sports. And so the Play Equity Fund is a charitable public charity that was established by the L84 Foundation Board of Directors to ostensibly raise more money to help more kids play. Um, We do that in a very um, creative and unique way so as not to compete with our other um, grantees and, and organizations providing sports. We do that through partnership. We do that through advocacy. And that we do that through collaborative fundraising, I'll say. Um, So we have currently a spring into play uh, campaign that we've launched. And that's done in conversations with the organizations that we support is what are you missing? What do you need? Um, You know, I don't think a lot of people realize how the nonprofit community got devastated during COVID. Layoffs, furloughs, um, you know, not able to do fundraising in the way, not able to do events. And so we're able to on the play equity fund side, Launch a campaign, raise dollars through the Play Equity Fund, and then distribute those uh, grant dollars out to the organizations directly, so that they can focus on meeting kids where they are, um, which is tremendous coming out of COVID. Social emotional learning, dealing with trauma, and so that's the partnership that we've created uh, with the Play Equity Fund um, and creating a movement. Wherever you are, um, if you believe in the power of sport, um, you know, see me online, see me, send me an email. We'd love to have your support.
0: Wonderful, wonderful and important. Like you said, you you know how to fundraise. You're a foundation. The teams know how to manage a team and the coaches know how to, coach and mentor. So you're going to help them by augmenting their funds. I think it's wonderful. Let's move and talk about your role on boards. I think it's important for us to talk about women on boards. We've hit 29% in California, which is wonderful representation of women on corporate boards based in California. It's 25% across the country and California is leading the nation. Unfortunately, though, the representation of people of color is still low, 12%. That's through EQUILAR. Now, what we find is not everybody reports on the uh, race and ethnicity of their board members. We're hoping the number is higher. But we do know that there's been an increased emphasis, particularly women and men of color, particularly black and African-American, which is a great thing to say. I've seen the statistics and the increase in the number of positions Going to Black Americans has been fantastic. So we're seeing a, a real change. Let's talk about um, uh, your experience. You uh, have been the kind of individual someone would want on a board for many years. But I know this process takes time. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. And one, well, let me just uh, thank you to you and Betsy Berkimer for really leading the charge decades ago in a, the legislation in the state of California without question is uh, attributed to your leadership and the growth that we see in minorities and women on board. So thank you to
0: you and Betsy for your leadership in that area. Primarily Betsy. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Betsy Berkimer, CEO of 5050 Women on Boards, 5050womenonboards.org. So thank you for that. Um, Yes, my journey started um, six,
1: maybe 10 years, actually probably 10 years ago. Um, A a good friend and colleague, uh, Linda Griego, who is on Viacom CBS's board. Was on AECOM's board. Um, you know, just sat down and said, you know, I think I'd like to be on, you know, a corporate board at some point in time. Um, you know, I've been in the nonprofit sector, but I've also been in the public, uh, the public sector, private sector work, I should say, um, and really, you know, haven't been able to flex that side of the muscle. I'm one of those odd folks that like reading financials, uh, and she gave me just some good advice. Uh, you know, nonprofit boards, your university boards, make sure that you. Uh, take on leadership positions um, serve on the audit committee you know people say yawn but you know the audit committee gives you a great uh, gives you great experience into the company or organization um, and then she gave me another piece of advice about elevating your brand uh, making sure that you um, say yes to speaking engagements and not necessarily in your industry um, but where you can really network with folks that um, you are sitting on corporate boards or you know business type of of of, of, of speaking opportunities and so i took, All of that sage advice and, you know, started a plan. Um, Loyola Marymount University, my my university, I founded, uh, was a co-founder of the African-American Alumni Association, made my way up to the alumni association then was invited to sit on the Board of Regents. Um, I served as chair of the Board of Regents and yes, did serve on the audit committee uh, and the endowment committee. And so, you know, just being patient um, with my nonprofit boards um, and making sure to get leadership positions as Linda gave me advice, and then just networking. I have a very um, unique career, and that I've, you know, experienced various industry politics, real estate, sports. Uh, did a little stint in publishing, and now in the philanthropic uh, community. You know, just being involved in the business community, the chamber board, uh, and just networking. And it was, um, I'd say, when the California law started to kick in. So I think this year there's a mandate um, of having at least two women um, on the three women three women on your board. Um, And then I'd say the other um, is the um, flashpoint that was the murder of George Floyd and this call for social justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I would have over the last, I'd say two and a half years, been vetted for nine different corporate board seats um, and was fortunate to um, get my first board seat with Steel Connect uh, in November or October of last year. and. Um, actually being vetted for a second uh, corporate board, um, you know, that I hope to to join next year. So um, I think that advice that Linda gave me, patience um, and really putting that advice into action and putting yourself in a position to be recognized and having an intentionality of what you want to do and staying true to that strategy. And, you know, fortunately for me that that came to pass and um, I'm well on my way.
0: Not a surprise to me at all. I think that as you pointed out, branding yourself, you've been very good at looking at perseverance, resilience, sport as a way of uh, engaging in leadership skills, character building. And needless to say, that resonates with CEOs and with boards, especially as we look at uh, talent and retention, which are, of course, key issues today. Let's talk, though, specifically about the Steel Connect board. Can you briefly talk about the process? And then a little bit about what you've enjoyed about the experience.
1: Sure. Um, Steel Connect was really a relationship-driven uh, opportunity. Uh, Warren Lichtenstein, who is the um, CEO of Steel Partners, which is a, the parent company of Steel Connect, there's 17 um, or 18 various companies, and Steel Connect is a publicly wholly-owned subsidiary under Steel Partners. Um, we actually met um, in the vein of You sports. Um, Steel Sports is one of the companies that he runs. It's now a nonprofit um, and we connected around coaching education. Got connected to a mutual friend, Angela Duckworth. And as he was looking for an independent board director, um, another coll- mutual colleague of ours um, who sits on his Steel Partners board, you know, mentioned uh, me in conversation with him and asked if I was interested in sitting on a corporate board. And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. So that ensued a conversation. Um, you know, looked at uh, Steel Connect. Um, you know, it's a very um, you know interesting company. It's uh, two. Uh, Separate companies under the Steel Connect um, banner. One is a third-party logistics company um, leader in its field, and the other is a direct marketing company. So there's doesn't seem to be much synergy um, with the two companies, um, but it just seemed like an opportunity to dig in. Both fascinating um, as industry leaders, and um, met with Warren and a couple of the board members. Um, obviously, the nominating and governance committee chair uh, and a couple of the other board members, and it just seemed the right fit. Um, you know, in terms of the first board seat, it's a mid-cap company, very small, um, and it, it's 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 um, been interesting learning the public board process. Um, you know, SEC rulings. Um, I am on the audit committee, um, but what's interesting is I joined the board in October, uh, and in November, um, Warren, this is all public, uh, made a, an offer to buy the majority, the 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 minority shares that he didn't own. Um, and with that comes a special committee to evaluate the transaction. and I'm one of two independent board members um, on the board that serve on that committee to evaluate the transaction. So I've been thrown into the deep end, um, so to speak. but um, my intellectual curiosity, um, you know just questions, I just find it fascinating. you know it's been a great uh, way to learn the company um, and to you know really dig into sort of where the company is headed um, in this transaction in particular. So, um, I've just learned a lot. I think the one thing that I will say, um, Renee, I think that there is a a lot of listeners might be saying, "Oh, I'd like to sit on a corporate board. You know, I get stock options, I get board fees. You know, that's a great sort of side thing to do." Um, it's not for the faint of heart. You are really taking on the responsibility, um, you know, duty of care, duty of loyalty, um, to making sure you're making the best judgment for the shareholders, and that requires you to do your homework and to be present. Um, you know our board packages are sometimes three hundred pages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the audit. Um, you know and your ten Ks and ten Qs, uh, and so you've got to really have the time to devote, um, okay. and then you have to have uh, you know the the tenacity to want to put in the work, um, and then you know making sure that you're you're adding value in the right way, and that value is not always you know, knowing the industry, but the value is, you know, for me, transactions um, are something that I'm very good at. So being on the special committee is where I bring value. Um, it might not be on, you know, reading, um, you know, an audit statement and being able to ask all the SEC rules, but we have a balance on the board that there's other members that bring that to the forefront. Um, so I think it's um, putting in the work and, and, and finding where your value
0: is for that particular board seat. Now, you, you also have an important role to play as a Black woman. You know, we need to have more voices heard around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Talk about any issues or ways you've raised this issue at Steel Connect.
1: Um, well, you know, what's interesting is Warren just, that's a value that Warren has. Mm. Um,
0: there, I'm not the only woman on
1: the board. Um, Maria Mullen, my colleague, um, is on the board. Warren looks for the best talent. Um, you know, certainly... The relationship and the connection that we had, um, you know, sort of how we evaluated, our, you know, the, the, the area of coaching education, and he's like, "Wow, you know, she's smart. She's she knows what she's doing. She'd be a value on my board." So um, that's just something that's, that's a priority. I think where you're talking is is in the ESG, is is making sure you know the hiring managers, um, you know, are, are are making sure that they have a fair slate. That the core value of DE and I is not just a statement, but there's actions that be behind that. I have to say that, um, you know, for for Steel Connect and Warren Lichtenstein, that is a value that is permeating throughout his company. There's still work to be done, you know, obviously with um, you know making sure that you're living to those values. Um, but I've been really impressed with um, Warren Lichtenstein and Steel Connect thus
0: far. I like that. You know, I just realized uh, the Steel Connect obviously Steel the brand name, but the word connect applies to both logistics and direct marketing, right? Exactly. Uh, so it's a, a nice way of, uh, of combining those two. You know, when we talk about ESG, you're absolutely right. It's environmental issues, social issues, governmental issues, but it also means an emphasis on the people, right? And uh, your notion of coaching is teaching. Uh, does that come up or is that already embraced in the company? So any, been any discussion at that level or is that not part of those discussions at the board?
1: No, it's, uh, it's permeates through the company. We in fact have in-person meetings in, in uh, December and they've taken steel sports um, and and their coaching philosophy and each of the um, hiring managers, CEOs, I should say, and and employees are going through the steel coaching philosophy and they're embedding that in the company. Um, And I think that it has applications to other companies, Um, you know, would love to Chat with you offline and, and share what with, with with Steel Partners is doing. But it's pretty revolutionary and permeates through um, not just Steel Connect, but through all of the portfolio companies that are under Steel Partners' um, purview.
0: We should talk about that separately. I have a client that might be able to use that. I think there's a much more of a recognition that younger people really want to be guided and play an important role in their organization. There's a uh, tension between the people over fifty and the people under forty, if you will. Just a piece of the New York Times about this. And uh, younger people, if you want to keep them happy, they're bold and they're strong. They've got great ideas. You've just got to encourage that. Uh, my last question is about, you know, how do we influence the other companies? How do we play a role? to enhance uh, an understanding of the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I try very hard to be an ally in this area. I know there are a lot of listeners who fall into that role as well. What advice would you give to people like me? Yeah, that's a great question, um, Renee. And I would say this, is that which is valued,
1: uh, you know, gets has action around it. And so that, the, that needs to be of value, not just words, but action. Um, and I think that when... Um, black indigenous people of color are seen as humans and and, and worthy of the same opportunities as, you know, those who hold power, uh, that I think that that's when we'll start to see sustained change. So I say be intentional. Um, Make sure you go outside your network. And, you know, ask a person that you might not know well, but a person of color for a recommendation. Because if you, if you don't have people of diversity within your network, you have to be, you have to value it. And then you have to be intentional to say that I want to be the change that I seek. And I think that it's as simple as that, to be quite honest.
0: Well, I like that a lot. As you know, I've created or helped to create and now help to run a program called Pathways. It's focused on women of color and moving them onto boards with uh, education and a curriculum and mentorship. And so it's one of my small actions. But I agree with you. You have to be very intentional. That's what's changed in my mind. You have to look through a lens of inequities. You have to listen really well. We. But I think, Renee, the, the, I'll also say this, is that it's good for business. Diversity of thought,
1: um, diverse, and it's not just um, of color or ethnicity, um, you know, but it's uh, orientation, it's your thought process. That yes. those make robust um, conversations in the boardroom, and it ultimately reflects the customer of tomorrow. So, data has proven that a diverse board, boards with women, are good for business. Absolutely. So, if nothing else, you can have a double bottom line. You can do good and do well at the same time.
0: That's exactly right. Your return on investment, uh, your PE ratio, they're all more positive when you have women and diversity in your boards. I really appreciate the advice. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful interview with Renata Semerl, LA84 Foundation. And don't forget, you can visit the website and learn more about the programs they're doing, including the Play Equity Fund. Thank you so much for listening to The Deciders. We are happy to have offered some insights and tips from Renata Simrel. You can hear all of our podcasts on our website at frasercommunications.com. We're a full service advertising and communications firm, and you can contact us at frasercommunications.com. Enjoy your week ahead. We'll be back next week here on The Deciders with Renee Frazier.